Our gracious and heavenly Father, we come before you now as we wrap up this glorious section of your word, the Sermon on the Mount. We ask for the grace to understand. I ask for the grace to explain. I ask that you would knit our hearts together in unity and love so that we might learn together. In Jesus' precious and holy name, amen. Well, the cleanup in my native state of New Jersey is still going on. There are some people that still don't have power. Some people's basements are still rotting with seawater. And a friend of mine told me they're hoping to get the boardwalk one-third complete by July 4th. That's incredibly optimistic. What that means is that millions, if not billions, of tourism dollars will be lost. And people are lamenting that fact, not realizing that you can't get to the the boardwalk is not all that important. It is, but the streets that lead to the boardwalk, they're more important. If they're filled with rubble, then it doesn't matter if the boardwalk looks pretty. And there are some people in New Jersey who are arguing, hey, we need to start moving away from the beach. It's hit us now. This is just like Miami. We need to move more inland to avoid the storms. Hmm. A lot of that will depend on insurance costs, I think. And I'm sure some people will say it's just not worth living here anymore. We're going to move more inland, more away from the storm, so that even if we lose power, the house itself won't be absolutely and utterly destroyed. Well, when we think about our life, our lives of our family, lives of our children... In a very real way, they're construction projects. We're renewal projects, as it were. We come into this world as sinners. We'll leave as sinners. And along the way, Christ reconstructs us. Mind, body, and spirit. Now, the bodily part of it's not going to even begin to really take effect until the resurrection. But our minds and our spirits, our emotions... The way we interact with other people, the substance of our life, our goals. Christ reconstructs us. You have to think of yourself as a castle, literally, in ruins. Have you ever seen a picture of a castle, a glorious medieval castle that was beautiful in the 1500s, but now is, well, in need of repair? It's covered with moss, covered with ivory, stones are falling down. Looks beautiful. Maybe if you fix it up. And what God does is, once he saves us, he begins to reconstruct us brick by brick. And those of you who are in the trades know that uh, reconstruction projects don't always necessarily go quite as smoothly as you want or quite as neatly as one is planned. Something always seems to come up. And that's how life is. We establish goals. We make plans. Hopefully, they're righteous goals. But even if we make plans and they're in accord with God's word, life might throw us a curveball. And that plan goes to the left or to the right or backwards, or sometimes we just get knocked down. It really is just that simple. It's just the bald facts of life. The question is, What do we want to have this reconstruction project's foundation as? 
We really have two choices. Christ or something else. It doesn't matter what that something else is. It's something else. Our lives will either be constructed upon the foundation of Jesus Christ or upon something else. Money. Fame. Leisure. Success. However you want to define it. A good name. Some people, believe it or not, actually want to have a bad name. They want to have a lousy reputation. They want to be feared. They build their entire lives upon building a fearsome reputation so people will leave them alone. There are people like that. And each of us has to look in the mirror and ask, what are we doing? Are we trying to establish a life that glorifies God by Loving him and serving him with all our heart, soul, mind and strength, the entirety of our being. Are we trying to love our neighbor as ourselves? Which is incredibly difficult very often. Or are we chasing after windmills like Don Quixote? Are we just doing all kinds of trivial activities that will add up to absolutely nothing on the day of resurrection? Jesus wraps up this Sermon on the Mount with these startling words. Therefore, whoever hears these sayings of mine and does them, I will liken him to a wise man who built his house on the rock. And the rain descended, the floods came, and the winds blew and beat on that house, and it did not fall, for it was founded on the rock. But everyone who hears these things of mine and does not do them will be like a foolish man who built his house on the sand. And the rain descended, the floods came, and the winds blew and beat on that house, and it fell. And great was its fall. And so it was, when Jesus had ended these sayings, that the people were astonished at his teaching. For he taught them as one having authority and not as the scribes. Now let's look at this just for a minute backwards. The people are astonished after this sermon. And you could go home and read this sermon out loud as if you were practicing a monologue for a Shakespeare play, a school play. Read it out loud, and it wouldn't take you very long, 10 minutes or so, 15 if you really did it slowly and dramatically. And the people are astonished at his teaching because, what does the text say? He taught them as one having authority and not as one of the scribes. The scribes were called the Pharisees. They were the teachers of Israel. They ran the synagogues. They ran what we would call the Sunday school programs, the VBS programs. They ran the seminaries and the theological schools. They were in charge of the teaching. And here is this carpenter's son from northern Galilee who's not part of their club, who doesn't have any degrees from their institutions, and he is blasting them out of the water with a ten-minute sermon. Absolutely obliterating them. And if you just focused on this Sermon on the Mount, these few pages, and read no other parts of Scripture for the rest of your life, and I'm not recommending you do that, but if you did, you would still be marveled every single day by what you read. And you would be convicted every single day by how far you fall short of the glory of God. His teaching was really that powerful. This was the start of the Pharisees saying, this guy is going to be trouble because he's better than we are. 
We've been working at this all our lives. And here comes this Johnny come lately. And he just seems to just have it all down. I can't come up with that stuff they're saying to each other. And the people are going to chase after him. And if they chase after him, then they won't come to hear us. And if they don't come to hear us, then what do we have to do? You see, the Pharisees were building their lives on their reputation. Jesus said that in the beginning of the Sermon on the Mount. They like to be fawned upon in public. They like to be fawned upon in the synagogue and at the chief feasts. They weren't building their life on the right thing. They were building their life on their own pride, on their own learning, on their own position in the community. And great was their fall. The Sadducees, who probably had some people in the audience, the Sadducees were the high priestly family, the Levites. They weren't in charge of teaching as much as they should have been. They were in charge of the temple and the sacrifices, where the money was. They were the power brokers. They had the money of the temple. They were the ones who ultimately in cahoots with the Pharisees, brought Jesus to Pilate and had him crucified. The Sadducees built their lives on their reputation, on their accoutrements, on the priestly service. Ironically, all of which pointed to Christ. They built their life on the wrong foundation. They thought they were building it on the right foundation, but they were wrong. As the book of Proverbs says, there is a way that seemeth right unto a man, but the way therein leads to death. Have you ever gone on a path that you thought was right and realized, oh, this was not the way I was supposed to go? Shouldn't have taken those classes. Those classes were a disaster. I thought this was going to be my major in college, and you realize, whoa, no, 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 this is not a field that I want to study. I have no aptitude for this. Maybe you started on a career path and realized, oof, this just isn't for me. It's okay to make mistakes when you're single. Once you get married and you have children, you better make sure your mistakes are minimally processed because there's a whole lot of people that are going to be affected by your mistakes. What are we building our lives on? Are we building our lives on the foundation of Jesus Christ? And his teachings, or are we doing something else? It's easy to say we're doing the former. It's much easier to do the latter. It's much easier to build it upon something completely foreign to the Christian faith. Christianity is easy to understand. It's not difficult. It's hard to do. Parts of it. Realizing you're a sinner, that doesn't take a, a great act of rocket science. When you peer into God's law and think, wow, did I match up to this? No. Did I match up to that? No. Do you want to keep going? That's why God gave the Israelites 600 laws. Have fun. Measure up to that. Work your way into my good graces. There's only one man who did that, Jesus Christ. You can't do that. I can't do that. Our arms are too short. Legs are too wobbly. We fail. We sin. That's why we need Christ. But then, 
the sanctification part, getting cleaned up, that reconstruction. That's a little harder. You see, justification is rather like looking at the building and objectively saying, it's pretty, but boy, it's a mess. Really, you need to get some guys in here to, well, it needs foundation work. The roof is just gone. Those walls, they're not going to last another year. That's easy to say. It's a mess. Let's get to work on it. Actually doing the work. Actually doing the work and getting that castle up to snuff. Making it glorious again. That's a lifelong process and it's not easy, nor is it always fun. There can be joy in it, but fun and joy, they're they're different categories. Joy is something deep and powerful and lasting. Fun is something that Kind of comes and goes. Joy is deep and it stays with you irrespective of the hardships of life. And the alternatives we have are very simple. Christ points it out. We hear his words and we build our lives on that foundation or we hear his words and we don't. Those are the only two things in line here. The question you have to decide right away is at the end of the verse, portion of scripture. Whose authority do you want to have be your authority? Christ or your own? Christ or someone else's? You have to make your choice. There are no alternatives. Christ or something else. Today is the day. Now, here's the problem is we don't build our lives on the foundation of Christ. We build it upon something else or someone else. And what's the end result of that? Jesus Christ says the storms will come and the fall will happen and great will be that fall. Have you ever noticed that people disappoint you? Even the ones that you love the most and they might disappoint you the hardest. Have you ever noticed that your jobs disappoint you? That your careers disappoint you? That your children disappoint you? That your parents disappoint you? That that card that you thought would make you complete sometime down the line won't start? And those of you who are grown up, think of the, uh, I don't want to call them silly dreams you had in seventh grade, but um, childhood dreams. I'm just call them childhood dreams you had in seventh grade, eighth grade, fifth grade, fourth grade, whatever. Um, are you still dreaming those same dreams? You still want to be, you know, middle linebacker for the Steelers? Do you, do you really hope to someday be Jack Lambert's replacement? Those of you who are my age, maybe you thought about that when you were a schoolboy, but you know, you don't think about that too much anymore, do you? He's retired, and you're long past your expiration date for being on that NFL gridiron. That's not going to happen. Those childhood dreams—they they pass with childhood, hopefully. But when those dreams came down, how did it feel? Now, most of us, when we dream about being a particular rock star or a famous athlete's replacement, deep in the back of our mind, we realize, "Mm, that's probably not going to happen. I can sing okay, but I'm probably not going to be a star of stage and screen. I can play baseball okay, but I'm not Roberto Clemente. You know, I can, I can throw the football, but I'm not Dan Marino. It's, I'm not Johnny Unitas. It's not really going to happen. You kind of know that in the back of your mind. But what about the things that you actually thought you had a shot at? And those dreams didn't come true. 
That hurt, didn't it? That was a crushing blow. It was like a knife in the back, a knife in the heart, and a knife in the throat all at the same time. And it stayed there for a good long while. That's what life is like. But you see, if Christ is your foundation, he will never throw a knife at you. He is kind and good and loving. And those around us, they hurt us, sometimes intentionally, more often or not, accidentally. Christ never hurts us. He does cut us with a surgeon's scalpel, but there's a difference between a surgeon's scalpel and an assassin's knife. The surgeon cuts to heal. The assassin cuts to kill. Choose your scalpel this day. Christ loves his people. He operates on them daily. And he heals his people daily. And the real beauty of this passage is that we actually can do this. We actually have the shot today to start anew. It doesn't matter what you were like before you came in this door. It doesn't matter what a mess you've made of your Christian life up to this point. That's the beauty of the Christian faith is the second chance is always there. Maybe this is the first time you've actually heard this portion of Scripture read. You've never heard this part before. Do you understand that? You actually have the shot, the chance to begin right now to build your life on the foundation of Jesus Christ. It's within your power to do so. And the guarantee that Christ gives us is that if we do that, when the storms come, and believe you me, they will come, that we will be safe and we will be secure. In this life and the next, because the storms of the next life are far more terrifying than the storms of this life. And the glories of the next life are far more beautiful than what we would think of the glories of this life. Did you have fun at Thanksgiving? Don't raise your hand. Maybe, maybe you did, maybe you didn't. Maybe it was a little bit of both. But generally speaking, it's, it's a feast, right? You, you get a big bird and you get all kinds of pies and you, you look forward to having a good time. And it's a wonderful day. A pretty untarnished holiday, almost. Except for all the shopping. Imagine what the wedding feast of the Lamb will be like in heaven. Nothing gets burned. You don't have to pay for anything. Everything's free. Christ himself will serve us. A feast for all those people. I mean, it's nice to, you know, if you have a big family, to, to get together with them. And it's really nice when you get together with them and everybody gets along. The holiday actually goes like, Fantasy Island. Nobody argues. It's fantastic. That's what the wedding feast of the Lamb will be like. Be a gigantic table with billions of people at it. And no one will fight. Mom, no one will complain about the food. Everybody will eat the green bean casserole. Everybody will love everything. And everybody will love everybody. That's the glory of the new heavens and the new earth. And ultimately, if we build our life on the foundation of Jesus, then that ultimately is the end 
of the road for us. This world, this life is a foyer. A very important foyer. But it's a foyer leading to another another country. Another place. A place with two doors. One leading to heaven and one leading to hell. That's why I said the storms of the next life in hell will far outweigh anything that Superstorm Sandy or anything any house fire could ever dream up. And the glories of the new heavens and the new earth seated with the great creator of all the worlds much finer than any feast any of us could ever concoct on this planet. The question is which alternative do we want? Now, it makes sense, doesn't it, to pick the smart one, doesn't it? I mean, if you have a chance to drive a Rolls Royce or a, a I don't know, 76 Gremlin, what do you, if you have, and, and there's same cost, what, and you pick, it's smart to grab the Corniche. It's a beautiful car, it's handmade. The Gremlin, well, I haven't seen one in a while. I don't want to see one for a good long while. They weren't the best-made cars on planet Earth. That Rolls-Royce, you could run into a wall, and it's still going to be fairly okay. If you have the choice, which are you going to pick? Most of us, we kind of hedge our bets. And we say, well, I'd like the Rolls-Royce, but you know, I don't know how I'd fit in it. We don't want the Gremlin because sometimes they were purple in the 70s. They were purple or weird shades of green. Just weird paint jobs, weird frames, lousy engines. Nothing good about them at all unless it was your first car and you saved up three summers for it. Most of us split the difference and say, you know what, maybe I'll just go for the Chevy Caprice in the middle. Now, I'm not really worthy of the Rolls, but I don't want that grandma. You know, give, me a, give me a Monte Carlo, something right in the middle. I love my 71 Monte Carlo, but if I had a chance for a Rolls, I would jump into that Rolls on a minute's notice. What are you going to pick? You know I'm not a health and wealth prosperity preacher, but God actually wants you to have the Rolls. Maybe not in this life, but certainly in the next. This life, you may be driving a Caprice, with dents. You're going to get hurt. Your eyesight will fail. You'll get sick. Your loved ones will get sick. You'll see pain and heartache. But in the next life, all of that will be gone. But the foundation is built now. So the question we each have to ask is, why on earth am I not making the smart choice? This Rolls isn't even on sale. It's free of charge. The other ones you've got to pay for. You've got to ride in that thing. You have to work on it. The Christ. Christ is a free gift. And the gift, by definition, costs the receiver absolutely nothing. Have you trusted Christ as your king? And if you have trusted him... Do you really trust him enough? You see, that's really where it gets to the heart of the issue. 
those of us who have believed on Christ. We trust him enough to get us to the new heavens and the new earth, but we don't expect him to do anything here and now. That's why we don't pray. If you really believe that God would do something, would you ask him? I'm asking you about your prayers. When you pray, is there sometimes, maybe not always, but sometimes, is there a little hesitation on your part? Like, okay, I know that God can do this. He can do anything. I'm just not sure if he's actually going to do this. One is faith and one is doubt. And doubt is a lousy thing. We have no guarantee that if we believe something, it will come true. That's called magic. Say it and it will happen. Say it and it will happen. Say it with enough faith and God will give it to you. That is not scriptural. But I can guarantee you, if you doubt, he's not pleased with the doubt. You think of the Apostle Peter. The disciples see Jesus walking on the water. And Peter, of course, jumps to the front of the line and says, Lord, if, if, if it's you, then bid me to come out and walk on the water and meet you. Nobody else had the nerve to say that. Peter did. And the Lord basically says, come on out. So Peter does, right? And the text tells us that he's literally cruising on the water. But then he looks around and he sees the wind. Well, he doesn't see the wind. He sees, he sees the storm. He sees the lightning. And he does what? He becomes afraid. And he starts to sink. And he says, Lord, save me. I'm drowning. Jesus helps him up, gets him on the boat and says, what happened to your faith? That's how we are. But most of us, we're not even going to even get out of our seat. Much less jump out on the water and try and meet the Lord. We're going to stay right there where it's safe. We're going to strap in our seatbelt. We're going to put on two life jackets. And we're not going to budge off of that boat because those storms are going to wipe us out. God wants us to venture forth. God wants us to leave our comfort zone. God wants us to trust that he loves us enough that he will actually look out for us. Your husband will let you down. Your wife will let you down. Your grandparents will let you down. Your parents will let you down. Your children will let you down. Jesus will never, ever let you down. Your doctor will make a mistake. You will make a mistake and pay too much for something. With Jesus, everything is rock solid, guaranteed. Trust him. Follow him. And he will come chasing after you. Build your life on the solid rock of Christ and you will not be disappointed. Would you pray with me? Oh Lord our God, we ask for the grace to trust you with everything.